Tell us you've been a good friend. Thank you. You know, I still think it's strange that you call a Roman soldier friend. Maybe everyone is correct when they call you Weird John. Anyway, you have about 20 minutes to visit with your guests. Thank you. Well, welcome. I was told I had some visitors today, and I don't usually get visitors here in Macarus Prison. I imagine this is the last place you want to be so close to Christmas. What is it, four or five days? Do you think you're ready for Christmas? Usually when we ask that question, people think about buying presents. They think about decorating a tree. They think about maybe preparing food for a family feast. And all of that is good. But there's really more about getting ready for Christmas than just that. I should know. It was my job to get people ready for Christmas. Sorry, I... You were told someone was going to tell you about the birth of Christ, but you didn't know who? I'm John Ben Zacharias. You might know me as John the Baptizer. And you say, well, what do you have to do with Christmas? Well, I, I suspect that you probably won't include me as part of your celebration. I know that when you put out the nativity scene, there's no figure for me to be placed with everyone else. You send your Christmas cards. I'm never on the cover. There's never a witty saying from me on the inside of the card, may this Christmas be the happiest from your friend John the Baptist. <laughs> I get it. That's okay. Believe me, I know it's not about me. But I was part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. I was there before the angels sang to the shepherd about the birth of a Savior. I was there before the Magi followed a star all the way to Bethlehem. In fact, I was one of the first ones to hear Mary herself say that she was pregnant with the Messiah. And when I heard it, I jumped for joy. As much as a baby can leap in its mother's womb. That's my job. Preparing people for the coming of Messiah. To get people ready for Christmas. My story really starts out just like yours. God knew me before time began, and he has a plan for my life. My father, Zechariah, was a priest, the line of Aaron, the division of Abijah, and my mother, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. They were good, good and godly people, righteous, blameless, faithfully obeying all the commands of God, all the regulations of God. And yet their life was painful. Painful because the one thing they desperately wanted, they could not have. A child. After being married de for decades, they were still barren. That's a horrible word, isn't it? Barren. It's lifeless, heartless. Horrible. It's filled with anguish. You know, infertility doesn't just happen all at once. It happens slowly, one monthly disappointment at a time. And the months turn into 
years and the years into decades and the decades into a lifetime of tears. Well, there were many well-meaning people who gave them suggestions, and they tried every home remedy that they could find, but nothing worked. Solomon says in the book of Psalms that children are a gift from God, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So my parents said, why are we being punished? The elder said, confess your sin, and maybe God will give you children. The people said, they're cursed. There's some secret sin in their life. And many people treated them shamefully. And even my parents, for a while, were tempted to think that God had somehow forgotten them. They never lost hope. They continued to pray that God would give them a child. That is incredible faith. And if you have parents like that who love God and believe him and pray, you, my friend, are richly blessed. Well, one day God answered their prayer. My father's priestly division was on duty in the city of Jerusalem. They were assigned to serve in the temple. And my dad was chosen by lot to, to light the sacred fire in the holy place. <laughs> it was an awesome privilege. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he was thrilled. While he was performing his holy duties in the temple, an angel appeared. And he was gripped with fear. And the angel, it was Gabriel... He said to my dad, don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son, and you must give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never touch wine, should never drink fermented drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he will turn many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the wise. And he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that is the word that they gave to my dad that so encouraged him. And so, I came along. That was my calling. For 400 years, the people of God had not heard from the voice of a prophet. And now, I was going to come and break that silence. Uh, Gabriel said that I would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That meant I was a forerunner. I would go before the Lord, kind of like an advanced man, and prepare the way, get people ready for the great event. I would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Here is a voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley will be filled up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And the crooked roads made straight and the rough places smooth. And all mankind will see the salvation of God. That was my calling. 
That was my job. And my parents never let me forget it. Every day they would remind me that I was different. And I, I kind of became a loner because of that. After my bar mitzvah, I shunned the comforts of my parents' home, and I began to spend long days at a time out in the desert. If I was going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, then like Elijah, I would make the desert my home. And that's where I heard the voice of God in the desert. God met my parents in the condition of their infertility, and he gave them a miracle and answered their prayer. God met me out in the desolation of the desert all alone, and he encouraged my heart. And God will meet you in the times of your trouble as well. Well, life in the desert was pretty rugged, actually. I wore a coat made of camel's hair, this is not it. This is some thing made of lamb's wool, I guess. When I came into prison, they took my old coat away and said it stunk so bad that the prisoners couldn't take it. <laughs> said I was the only one who, when given prison clothes, had an upgrade in his wardrobe. <laughs> and, and I survived out in the desert by, by a diet of locusts and wild honey. Not exactly your normal Christmas fare. In fact, uh, a, a Pellis left me some tasty treats here. There's a trick to eating locusts. Uh, first of all, make sure you pull off the wings. That's important. And then you want to dip their little carcass in some honey. And then eat quickly. So it's kind of pluck, dip, and swallow. <laughs> Tastes like a pretzel. <clears throat> a little crunchy, but good protein. <laughs> but life was not only a struggle. It was not a rugged. My preaching was rugged. It wasn't refined. I wasn't a trained scholar or scribe. I, I never sat at the feet of the rabbi, but I love the Holy Scriptures, especially the prophet Isaiah. And I would study his prophecies, and I would spend time in the presence of God. And when I would preach, I felt that I was doing the very thing that God had created me for. When I preached, I felt his pleasure. And my message was pretty simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, some people think that the word repentance is only a religious word, but that is not true, not in my day. You see, if you were traveling through the desert, it would be easy to get lost. There were no road maps, no signs to show you where to go. And so you might be traveling through the desert, and you would realize, I'm going in the wrong direction. And you'd say, I better turn around. That's it. That's repentance. That's what I call people to do. To those who were going in the wrong direction, I said, turn around. Change your life. Change your heart. Change your mind. 
go in a new direction. And you might think that this message would not be very popular, but I tell you, the people came from everywhere. They came two days from the city of Jerusalem to the place where I was baptizing, Bethany, beyond the Jordan. They came from all over Judea. They came from the Jordan Rift Valley. They came from Perea. They came from everywhere. And my name, my name became a household word in all the land of Israel. And a household joke in some places. They said I was a, a bit odd. Eccentric, unconventional, strange, peculiar, weird John is what they called me. In fact, some said he has a demon. Nevertheless, they kept coming. Crowds. And the people came for different reasons. Some came simply because they were curious. They wanted to see what was happening. They wanted to be where the action was taking place. If you create just a little bit of commotion, it's easy to generate a rather sizable crowd. And so people came simply because they were curious. Others came because they wanted to investigate. The Jews sent the priests and the Levites to interrogate me. And when they came, they demanded, Who are you? Are you John the Baptist? I said, No, but I come in his spirit and power. Are you that prophet that Moses spoke about? I said, no, but the prophet spoke about my coming. Well, then are you the Messiah, the one who's to come to save Israel? I said, no, I'm not the light, but I've come to bear witness of the light. Well, then who are you? Tell us so we can give an answer to those who've sent us. And I answered with the words of Isaiah. I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Get yourself ready for the coming of the Lord. There were some who came simply because it was the religious thing to do. They weren't sincere. They didn't want to change their heart, but they wanted everyone else to think that they were spiritual, so they came. The Pharisees, with their self-righteousness, their petty man-made rules, designed to make them superior and used to condemn everyone else. The Sadducees, with their smug conservatism, thinking that simply by holding to traditional values, that made them holy. I never got through to these people, but I did see through them. And one time I confronted them. I said to them, you family of snakes! Who called you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth some kind of fruit that, that represents genuine repentance. You think you're safe from God's wrath simply because you're the sons of Abraham. I tell you, God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. And his axe is laid at the root of every unproductive tree to chop it down and throw it in the fire. I baptize with water. But there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will cleanse his threshing floor 
and he will gather his wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Have a nice day. But then, thankfully, there were those who came who were sincere about heart change. They were tired about all the superficial rules of religion. They wanted something more, something real, something genuine. They saw the evil in their hearts and they wept over it. They hated their sin, not, not just the consequences of their sin, but the actual sin itself. And they came asking for the Lord to cleanse them, asking for mercy. My name, John, means Yahweh is gracious. And that was my message. Yes, if you reject the Lord, you'll be like the chaff, discarded and burned. But if you receive the Lord, you'll be like his wheat, taken into his barn, and there you stay forever. The message is repent and believe, and then you have forgiveness. And that message of God's grace is the message I preached, and that message, my friend, will never, ever change. And those who received the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins allowed me to dip them into the waters of the Jordan. That was, that was a humbling thing for them to do, to be baptized. You have to understand that the Jews felt that they didn't need to be baptized. Everyone else needed the waters of baptism except them. Pagans were baptized into their religion. And so it was a humbling thing for them to be baptized. But because of Christmas... The king has come. Because of Christmas, everything has changed. Everyone needs to turn. Everyone needs to repent. The interesting thing about repentance is this. It's demonstrated by what you do, not by what you say. When the crowds came to me and they said, what should we do? I said, if you have two coats, if you have more food than you need, give to those who are in need. Be generous. The tax collector said, what should we do? I said, don't take any more than you should. Be honest. The soldier said to me, what should we do? I said, be content with your wages. Be satisfied. And when Herod said to me, what should I do? I said, stop living with your brother Philip's wife. <laughs> repentance, genuine repentance, is authenticated by what we do, not just by what we say. Well, I was baptizing in the Jordan River one day, and I saw him. The one from Galilee, son of Mary, Jesus. He's a relative of mine, but... But I had never met him. My mother told me stories about him, about his miraculous birth. But when I saw him, I said, Look, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the one I said who's coming after me, but who has surpassed me because he was before me. 
I've not met him, but the reason I come baptizing is so that he might be revealed to Israel. God had told me that I would know who the Messiah was by a sign. And this was the sign. The heavens would open, and the Spirit of God would come down like a dove and light upon Messiah and remain upon Messiah. And that's exactly what happened. But not only that, a voice thundered from the heaven. It was the voice of God. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. And so God revealed his son by his voice and by his spirit. There was no mistaking it. This indeed is the son of God. So I want you to know that I've seen him. And I do testify that Jesus of Nazareth is God's holy son. And that's why I was stunned when he came to me and said, baptize me. I protested. No, I need to be baptized by you. These waters are for sinners whose iniquity needs to be washed away. You're the Holy Son of God. You're the Messiah. You have no sin. But he insisted, so I complied, and I'm glad I did. I've learned that when you follow God, you need to expect the unexpected. Well, I continued to baptize and to preach, I went to a new location, to Enon, in the land of Samaria, because there was much water there. And my disciples came to me very disturbed. They said, Rabbi, all the people who used to follow you are now following that Jesus. What do you think about that? Doesn't that bother you? And I said, a man can only receive what has been given to him from heaven. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not Messiah. I told you that. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I merely attend him. I wait upon him. And when I hear his voice, I rejoice with joy unspeakable. That's what the friend of the bridegroom does. And now I want you to know that my joy is overflowing. No, he must increase, and I must decrease. One of the ways that I'm decreasing is here in prison. How did I get here? Well, I told Herod Antipas that his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, was unholy and unlawful, and he didn't like that. Herodias was ticked. They had me arrested, threw me into prison to punish me and to silence me. And I have to be honest with you, it's not been easy. I had a lot of time to think in prison, and that's, that's when a while ago I began to have some doubts. My father told me that when Messiah comes, he will put down our enemies and establish his kingdom. That's exactly what the prophets say. But it never happened. We're still under the heel of Rome. I thought by now Jesus would be reigning on David's throne, but he's not. I did everything I was supposed to do, and this is what I got for a reward. 
And then while in prison, my friends came to me and said they were a little upset about what was happening with the disciples of Jesus. They said, they don't fast. They don't keep the Sabbath. Sometimes they eat with notorious sinners, and one of them, one of his disciples, is a tax collector employed by Rome. I thought to myself, Jesus is making more enemies than he is friends. He's losing ground, not gaining ground. And I wondered, I wondered if perhaps I was preparing the way for the wrong person. So I sent some of my disciples to go talk to Jesus and ask, them, ask him this question. Are you the one? Or should I be looking for someone else? And he sent me back this report. He said, you tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are healed. That the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life again and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You tell John, blessed is he who does not stumble over me. Wow. <laughs> I thought about that long and, how, long and hard. And, and then it dawned on me. He came not to bring political salvation, but spiritual salvation. I forgot that he's not just the king of kings. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One day, yes, he will set up his kingdom. But now we need a deliverance from an enemy far worse than Rome. We need forgiveness of sins. And then I realized... I was deaf and blind and lame. I'd been telling everyone else to get ready for the Lord, and I wasn't ready myself. It was my turn to repent. Some people think that repentance is, is just what you do when you do when you come to God the first time. But no, repentance is something you do every day as you follow God for the rest of your life. It's like walking through the streets of Jerusalem. You might take a bath in the morning, you're clean, but your feet get dirty, and you have to wash them repeatedly even throughout the day. And so as you and I walk through this world that is so defiled, it's easy for our heart to get dirty, for our lives to get dirty, and we need to wash them. We need to repent again and again. And again, that is some wild birthday party Herod is having. Everyone is drunk. Even the king is drunk. And now, Salome, the daughter of Herodias, she is entertaining the crowd with her dancing. Anyway, John, visiting time is almost over. Thank you. Well, Christmas time is a time to celebrate. The king has come into the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And what better way to celebrate Christmas than to turn from your sin and to trust the Messiah. When I was preaching in Enon, I gave this message. If anyone believes in Christ, they have eternal life. 
But if anyone rejects the Son, they shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. This is the message I was given, and this is the message I have preached. And this is the way for you to get ready for Christmas. So I ask you again, are you really ready for Christmas? You know, there's still time for you to get ready. John, case. John, you won't believe this. King Herod was so pleased with Salome's dance that he has promised her a present. Anything she wants, up to half the kingdom. John, she and her mother have asked for your head. You are to be beheaded, and your head is to be put on a platter. Herod didn't want to do it. He asked you to save face. He was trapped, trapped by his own oath. Are you sure? I'm sure. I'm sorry, John. This is it. What a present. Well, I must go. But don't forget what I said. Christmas is all about turning and trusting and worshiping the one who was born to be our king. That's the only way to celebrate Christmas. My job is now done. Today I'll, I'll be done with these fetters as well. And I will decrease. But may he forever increase. Amen. My head on a platter? They call me weird. <laughs>